Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be back with you. I've so enjoyed being with you from the prayer meeting on uh, Friday night and through uh, fellowship with the guys yesterday. Even a great cup final. And uh, you laid over everything on. And, uh, uh, and now to be together in worship. Uh, it's a joy to be in a church that gives time to draw near to God and uh, embraces his presence and his testimony of uh, God's healing touch. He's alive. He's amongst us. He heals the sick. He calls us into fellowship with him. And uh, it's just a blessing to be back. Very refreshing for Wendy and me uh, being with you. I'm going to be preaching in a minute, but I'm, we've also brought a few books. So on the book table downstairs, you'll find a few uh, titles, and one of which by myself, The Spirit-Filled Church. That's what we aim to build. That's what you're part of here, a spirit-filled church. And you'll find chapter by chapter, Bill, just spelling out uh, those values, that priority to be a church full of the Spirit, loving the truth, loving one another. And then Wendy's written some excellent books. The latest one is simply called His Strong Hand. And it may be some of you say, well, I'm not really a reader. I don't, I don't read books much. Well, this, this, is, this is ideal for non-readers. Um, every chapter is just like two or three pages, and uh, it was the publishers who came to Wendy and said, would you, would you write a book for us that uh, can be kind of a bedside or coffee table book? And uh, Wendy's brilliant at seeing the presence of God in all sorts of situations, and uh, they're just anecdotal stories where you meet with Jesus. Uh, they're really great. I think I've enjoyed it. When it was first put on my book, on my desk by my secretary, uh, and I started reading, I couldn't stop reading the stories. Uh, but I think it's probably best to read just little by little. And so, yeah, all sorts of things. The open door, the strong tower, a daughter's decision in praise of older women, uh, through the curtain, wedding anniversaries, notes on worship, daffodils and other smells, beautiful feet. And then uh, another look at Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, uh, rugby for grandmas. I mean, all sorts of fun things. And uh, I, I would really wholeheartedly uh, recommend that to you. You'll find that, I think there's some four titles on the book table down there, so you might like to look. Okay, I'm going to be speaking to you from the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, I know it's not the easiest book to find. Uh, you can always look at the index at the front. Um, the book of Jonah. I'm going to read the first chapter and I'm reading from the NASB, uh, so you can um, maybe just have to adapt here and there. Maybe one or two words that differ. Maybe we could just bring the thing down a bit. We're a bit boomy here. Uh, but I'm sure you can handle that while I'm reading the chapter. Okay, chapter one of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, 
and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps God would be concerned about us so that we'll not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry ground. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you? That the sea may become calm for us. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the joy of worshipping you, the delight we feel in our hearts as we ponder your greatness, your love your commitment to us. Father, thank you. And Lord, we do pray right now for the help of the Holy Spirit. We, we invite your help. We thank you for your promise that if we, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Father, we ask right now, come Holy Spirit, Come rest upon us. Come lead us into truth. Let your truth penetrate our hearts and do us good here, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess the story of Jonah is one of the most famous Bible stories, and it must be one of the weirdest, uh, that a guy should be swallowed by a fish uh, some would say, come on, you don't believe this kind of stuff, do you? It's, uh, it's hardly likely to be true. Uh, there's so many miracles in this uh, story. A fish swallows, uh, spews him out on the land, uh, a whole city repents, there's all kinds of extraordinary things. And some have even said, well, maybe it's a parable. It's kind of telling us how Israel got swallowed up by Babylon, and then later, after some years, they were sort of spewed out again and carried on with their calling. And uh, 
you can have those kind of explanations, but the Bible actually doesn't kind of give us that explanation. It tells us that Jonah is an authentic biblical figure. We find that Jesus talks about Jonah in the same breath almost as he speaks about the Queen of Sheba, who's a clear historic figure, and he speaks of her, and he speaks about Jonah. And also you find that Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings and chapter 14, where an extraordinary thing is recorded, namely that under the reign of Jeroboam, who was a very backslidden, uh, wicked king, uh, it says that Jonah uh, promised and prophesied that their borders would be extended. So it says in verse 25, he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, and so on. So he had the very uh, pleasant task of prophesying to a backslidden generation that God would bless, that their borders would be extended. So tremendous privilege and an easy task for a prophet. And uh, most prophets in the Bible had to withstand when there were ungodly kings and call them back to repentance. Jonah is vindicated as he prophesied. It happened, hey, life's comfortable here. It's great being a prophet. And then suddenly God comes to him with another kind of word. God says to him, arise and go to Nineveh. And that's kind of a shock to his system. It's something he doesn't want to hear. It's something that's foreign to who he is and what he wants to be. And uh, he's very reluctant uh, to obey. He's not going to do uh, what God uh, tells him to do. That's what happens in this story. And the book of Jonah is, in that sense, quite different to most other books of prophecy in the Bible. Because most other books of prophecy, you'll find are pages. I'm personally, in my own devotional reading, working through Isaiah at the moment. And it's just page after page of what God says, revelations coming from God, the prophecies of Isaiah. In Jonah, what Jonah prophesies is eight words in the book. That's all, eight words. So what's this book all about? Well, I think it's not so much about what he prophesied, it's really about what happened to the man. The story of his experience is the prophetic relevance to us. This is where God is speaking to us through what happens to the guy. And so for us, we need to tune into this and see this, that this guy has this extraordinary thing happen, and God shows him immense kindness. What comes out of it is that God says, go and do this. He says, no. And the story does not say, okay, Jonah, goodbye. Amos, come on, I've got a job for you. Now, God pursues the man because God is actually not just wanting a job done. He's committed to us. He has things that he, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, where his workmanship created in Christ for works he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He, he's got ambition for your life and mine. He's got desires that we should fulfill them. And, and, and when we miss the way, when we, we fall short of what he has for us, he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't, oh, well, clear off then. I'll get someone else to do it. He's very, very compassionate and gets involved with us to bring us through to his ultimate purpose. That's what comes through this extraordinary book. So Jonah is a prophet. Now, what's a prophet? Well, I, I read uh, a year or so back uh, Boris Johnson's book on Winston Churchill. Fascinating book, very interesting. 
I mean, Churchill's one of these guys that people say, well, he's like a prophet. Uh, he stood, his voice was heard, he stood against the tide, and his voice became very important to the nation. He's like a prophet, really. Or maybe you've read the story of Mandela, a Long Walk to Freedom. What a book. And what a prophetic figure. What an extraordinary man. What a voice. Like a prophet. I, I, I read Abraham Lincoln a couple of years back. I, he was right out of step with people, and yet he got raised him up, you would say, and you think, wow, another prophet. But actually, although people call these men prophets, uh, probably because they've got this thing in common with Bible prophets that they do kind of speak against, they go against the tide, uh, they can go through a season of not being received. Actually, these people are not like Bible prophets. Churchill said this, the further you look back in history, the more you can see forward. He was a student of history, he understood history, understood about the nations, and he could speak from his own perception. But Bible prophets aren't like that. Bible prophets are, are like this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's the opening verse in our reading. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now that's, that's the mark of a Bible prophet. The Bible prophet is someone who's not a brilliant student of history. He's just someone that God speaks to. The word of the Lord comes to them. It's an experience of revelation. It's an amazing thing. And God chooses people. Sometimes they're very reluctant. Jeremiah says, I'm too young. Amos says, I'm a farmer. God just interrupts lives apprehends people and starts speaking to them and saying, you're my mouthpiece. I'm going to speak through you. You'll find that when Moses is reluctant to speak, he says to Moses, okay, Aaron, you call Aaron, he can speak. Then he says this to him, you can be as God to Aaron, he can be your prophet. In other words, you say to him what you want him to say. That's a Bible prophet. You speak on behalf of God. And so Jonah is a genuine prophet. The word of the Lord comes to him, and God speaks to him. He begins to address things that he wants him to do. But we find with Jonah, he's not interested. And in other ways, Jonah is unlike other Bible prophets, because sometimes you find that not only when uh, they hear things from God do they respond, but they also are very prayerful men. Very often prophets like Elijah, Moses, they pray, they come back. It's, this is a huge privilege. God speaks to them, they speak to God. They have this access. And sometimes God says things, like he said to Moses, I'm going to blot them out, I'm going to bless you. And Moses, oh no, you mustn't do that, Lord. Please don't do that, God. And he's got compassion for the people. You find similar with Abraham. Abraham's called a prophet. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, oh God, if you find 50 righteous there. Uh, so different to Jonah. This, he's like, oh God, please, please. Jonah's indifferent. He's not like that. He's, he's just a different kind of guy altogether. He's not going to get caught up with God's purposes. And it says about, uh, God says to Elijah, Elijah, go to the brook Cherith. The next verse says, Elijah arose and went. And then it says, God spoke to Elijah, now go to Zarephath. Next verse says this, he arose and went. And God says to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. And next verse, he arose and went the other way. He's not an obedient man. He's not in step with God. He's not going to do what God wants him to do. It's a tragedy. Now, now why is this of 
kind of interest to us? Well, partly because of this. A genuine prophet's hearing from God, and in the Old Testament, that's a very unique figure. In the Old Testament, there might be like one prophet in a generation. So Elijah's the prophet of his generation. When he's going to go, Elisha comes for the next generation. Samuel for his generation. If you want to hear from God, you better go and find Samuel. You may have to travel to Shiloh, where he is, like Saul did, went looking for the prophet, because he's just one guy in a generation. Just this one fellow speaks. Then you find, it says in Isaiah, there'll come a time when the Spirit is poured out. And then even more specifically, Joel says this, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. God's going to pour out his spirit widely. And what was unique and isolated and a bit kind of elitist in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, becomes widespread. We are in what's called the dispensation of the spirit, the age of the spirit, when each one shall know me. We heard about that covenant this morning in the meeting. God said, I'm going to give you a new covenant, not like the old one. Now everyone shall know me from the least to the greatest. Not even from the greatest to the least. Each one shall know me, from the least to the greatest. That's revolutionary. In the Old Testament, they didn't all know the Lord. So, you know, David would get revelation, sing a psalm, teach the people the psalm. But David got to know the Lord. The, the, the nation didn't. This new covenant. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Each one shall know me. We shall all prophesy. It says about Philip, Philip the evangelist, he says he had four daughters who prophesied. I wonder what breakfast was like in their home, you know? Four daughters who prophesied. It was like, wow, prophesying is everywhere. The presence of the Lord is in the church. We can hear his voice. But we sometimes have the same experience as Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to us, and we don't always want to do it. He says things that we don't want to hear. So he may say, I want you to befriend that refugee. Oh, that's costly, that's uncomfortable. It doesn't really sit well with me. Come on, I'm calling you to, no, I'm not really interested in that. I want you to do this outreach ministry. Ah, oh, Lord, you know, I'm busy. I don't really feel I could do that. I want you to raise your children with godly discipline. Ah, oh, come on, Lord, that's tough. I want you to love your wife sacrificially. Come on, sacrificially, come on. I want you to honor your husband. Lord, it's 21st century, come on. And so there also, there's lots of God speaking to us all the time. His word is coming to us, word is coming to us. But sometimes we don't want to do what he says. We don't want to do it. We just would rather make our own choices. Thank you very much. And yet it's this wonderful new covenant we've heard. It says, I'll write their laws in my heart. And I put, I put this new desire within them. And so when, when we're being appropriately responsive, you'll find an echo in your heart. You'll feel, yes, Lord. You'll find, okay, Lord. And God begins to do stuff within us. And, and, and we get shaped by the word that comes to us. The word of God begins to shape our thinking, begins to reform us, reshape us, align us. We become changed people gradually, gradually. As we take on board truth, we let him speak to us. But when we turn away from what he says... It all goes wrong for us. 
So this is very relevant to us, that he heard a word from God, and instead of doing what God wanted him to do, no, he didn't. He went the other way. So let's, let's look at the story and see how relevant it is to us. It says this, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, how do you do that? How, how do you flee from the presence of the Lord? I mean, the Bible says, where can I flee from your presence? Psalm 139 says, you know, if I uh, sit down, stand up, you see me, you know all about it. If I make my bed in hell, you know, I shouldn't be in this bed. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. There's nowhere I can flee. What, what am I? God's everywhere. How can I go? And yet it says here quite plainly, he fled from the presence of the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, the word presence in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, is the same word. It means face. He fled from the face of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, this is the privilege of the prophet, that he has, as it were, face-to-face -face fellowship. He can come into the presence of the Lord in that way that God is speaking. I guess Moses would be the most wonderful example. It says God spoke to Moses face-to-face, presence-to-presence. Moses came in, his face is shining. He kept going into this tent of meeting, and it's face to face, and, and, and that's the privilege of the prophet. That's the privilege of the child of God in the new covenant. We can be in the presence of the Lord. And he went away from that face to face fellowship. And to be honest, no face to face, no prophet. You cease to be. You may have prophet written on your door, but no face to face fellowship. It's not working anymore. It's that face-to-face -face fellowship that makes a prophet. So we may call him Jonah the prophet, but when he moved away from the presence of the Lord, hmm, not really, not really. Nominal, but not genuine. What we find in the Bible is this, that when men are in face-to-face -face fellowship with God, their prophetic voice is heard. So you get Moses, for instance. Moses, God calls Moses and commissions him, go down to Pharaoh and, and challenge Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go. They're to be freed from slavery in Egypt. And so we read the story, Moses goes to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh turns to Moses and says, push off. Who is the Lord anyway? Clear up, clear up. And Moses, he gets back to God, hey Lord, he said, clear off. He talks to God and says, Lord, I mean, what do I do now? What do I do? And God says, go back again and say this. Okay. So he goes back. This is what the Lord says. And you read the story. It's fascinating. He keeps going back into face-to-face -face fellowship. And he keeps going back to Pharaoh. And you read the story. And what you find at the beginning of the story is Pharaoh, this great emperor, this leader of probably the greatest nation of the world at that time, with massive army and all that. He's saying, get out of here. And, and at the beginning, Moses is, uh, Pharaoh's huge, as it were. And, and Moses keeps going back to God. And as he keeps coming back to Pharaoh, as the story goes on, it's almost like Pharaoh shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And Moses gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Until in the end, Pharaoh says, go and please bless me. Because somehow Pharaoh has seen, when I speak to this man, it's like speaking to God. When this man speaks to me, it's like I'm confronting an, another power because this man keeps 
going back into the presence of God. This is engagement with a man who's in touch with God. You get the same with Elijah. Elijah comes to King Ahab and says, it won't rain till I say so. And Ahab comes, and, and, and he says, the God before whom I stand. And suddenly Ahab realizes, Ooh, this man's not only standing before me, he's standing before a God. He represents God. And beloved, that's relevant to us today. You know, our government sometimes will say to us, come on, church, it's 21st century, catch up, things are changing, moral standards are changing, attitudes to these sort of things are changing, come on, church, catch up, it's 21st century, and sometimes the synod will say, well, it will take us a little while, it may take a while before we catch up. The nation's waiting to see a church that looks like it's come from the presence of God. It's come from meeting Him. It really represents Him. It's not trying to reflect culture. It's, come, it's bringing God to people. We, we stand before God. We know God. This is the privilege. We know Him. We can hear Him. We can fellowship with Him. We can know Him speak to us. He changes our lives. He orders our steps. There'll be people here who say, well, why did you come to this church? Well, the Lord spoke to us. The Lord said, go here. The Lord told us to move here. I, I was recently in Istanbul a couple of weeks ago with Wendy. We were preaching in Istanbul. You speak to people, what did you do? Well, God told us. God said, come on, I want you to move here. I want you to go there. So we came here. That's why we're here. People hear from God. And that should be the characteristic of the church of the living God. But it's not that, you know, at the school gate, you go up to people and say, that says the Lord. But it should be that they meet a value system in your heart, your casual conversation, that is a consistent voice that's coming from another place. Because yeah, we, we face God, we hear God, we obey God. And so the nation gets a chance to hear another voice, another word that's come from outside. And it's not for the church just to echo the voice of the world, that's not telling them anything. Try and be a bit more moral. Oh yeah, but we'll catch up with your morality soon. Now God's called us to be prophetic, a prophetic community. But Jonah didn't want to be a prophet. He'd rather go from. He didn't want to do what God said. So he went from the presence of the Lord. He lost that face-to-face -face fellowship. I believe God wants to speak to some this morning, say, I'm calling you back face-to-face -to -face fellowship. Some of us know it's not like it used to be. We made a few choices on the way, and well, it's, it's not like I'm a very prophetic person. I muddle along, and we don't know the Lord like perhaps we once used to. And he wants to engage with us again. So he's going from the presence of the Lord, he's drifted away, and, you, and many of you know the story, you know there's a turning point, which we'll come to, of course. And we can sometimes think, well, I've never gone away like that. I mean, it's a bit like the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son comes to this point where he came to himself, he ran out of money, he ran out of friends, and he thinks, oh, I should go back to my father. And we call that parable the parable of the prodigal son, but to be honest, maybe not a very good name for the parable because probably the parable is more about the other brother. Jesus is speaking and mixing with sinners. He's eating with people that rabbis shouldn't eat with, according to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are attacking Jesus, saying, what are you doing with these sinners? 
Why are you a friend of sinners? You're supposed to be a rabbi. And he told them the parable in that setting. And the parable ends with him coming back to the father and then saying to the other brother, and the other brother saying, what are you doing with him? He's wasted your money, he's gone away, he's not honored you. And, and the father says, hey, your, your brother was dead, he's alive again. He was lost, he's found. Come on into the party. And the older brother won't. So be careful, don't think to yourself, well, I've never, I've never gone far away. I've never drifted off. I've never gone off like Jonah. I've never gone off like the prodigal. Because sometimes you can, you can be in the Father's house, but not in face-to-face -face fellowship with the Father. It's very easy to say, no, I haven't, I haven't done those sort of things. But the older brother, he said, why, why, why? And the, and the father said, come on, son. And he was really a son who didn't understand the father. God wants us to understand the father. So here we find he fled from the presence of the Lord. And then we find this. The next thing that happened was he found a ship. He found a ship. He went down uh, to Tarshish. And uh, he arrives at this harbor. He's on his way. God says, go to Nineveh. He says, I'm, I'm going the other direction. And he comes to the harbor. And what do you know? Hey, there's a ship going to Tarshish. Hallelujah. Must be right. He gets on it and off he goes. It came along. It came along. If you, you've been in pastoral ministry as long as I have, you meet a number of Christians, and sadly they can say things like this, well, we were kind of thrown together. Yeah, I know I, know I was married, but our marriage was dry, and I just kept bumping into this woman at work, and I don't know, we just, we make one another laugh. We, she's much more sympathetic. She came along. And I think, I think it was God. I think God was just smiling on, you know. And so, you know, they get on the boat going the other way. Because it came along. Once we get away from the presence of the Lord, we become vulnerable to what comes along. I mean, in reality, Satan has a whole fleet of ships going to Tarshish. There'll be another one along tomorrow. And, and if we are led by, it just turned out this way. We can get into real trouble. So he, he just gets on the ship that's going in the opposite direction to the way that God told him to go. And he's really off course now. And then reading on the story, it says, he went into the ship, he went down, and he fell asleep. He fell asleep. Now, there's nothing wrong with sleep. Praise God for sleep. I'm blessed by refreshing sleep. He gives his beloved sleep. He, the Lord's my shepherd, he makes me lie down. It's great not to strive, it's great not to be uh, driven people. Sleep's a gift from God, and often spoken of very positively in the Bible. But sometimes in the Bible, it's spoken of in a different kind of way, like you're disinterested, really. You've opted out, you're kind of metaphorically asleep. You're just kind of not in the game. He fell asleep. You get it probably at Gethsemane when Jesus says to the disciples, pray with me, pray with me, just one hour, pray with me. And he goes and comes back to their sleep. They're not really in the battle. They're not there for him. They're asleep. It's very possible to do that. You just kind of turn off. And it's even possible, dear friends, to be very busy but still be asleep. You're just doing stuff, but if you had time to 
stir everything away and look right inside. Oh, I'm bored. Bored. And where do we get our kicks? Well, you know, as this television series, I'm hooked on it. Well, you know, we get our kicks somewhere else. We kind of, it's like we've fallen asleep. It's like, it's like we had a prayer meeting here last, on Friday night. Did you, did you get at the prayer meeting? No, I don't have time for the prayer meeting. Well, sometimes, you know, I need to pray the nation. I mean, terrible things are happening in our land. And the, answer, the answer to the nation is the church. And so we're going to kind of pray. Oh, I don't get to pray. Oh, I, I see you asleep, eh? Not in the battle. He got on a boat, went to sleep. He wasn't relevant. Jesus said, if the salt's lost its savour, it's good for nothing, really. It could be trodden underfoot. This Jonah, this prophet, he's, not, he's good for nothing. The, the nation's in a storm. The boat's being tossed about, and he's asleep. He's not, in the, he's not in it. And it's, dear friends, it's possible to drift into that, even to be very busy, but we're not relevant to the storm. And if ever there was a time in our nation... Upheaval. I've never known such political upheaval. I've never known such sense of what's going to happen next. Where are we going? What's going to go on? And, and at such a time when the church is so needed, because the church is the answer. The church is the only answer. It's the light of the world. Well, I don't bother. I mean, phew. oh, I see. Gone to sleep. It's a bit sad. He went into the boat, and he fell asleep. He had no sense of urgency. He's probably a bit depressed by now. So easy for that to happen to us. And he's beginning to really fail as the crisis hits. And then find this, that the, the people start saying, we ought to do something about what's happening. And they start taking their buckets and they're throwing their water and, and, and doing what they can, throw the cargo overboard. You know, let's take action, let's do something. And sometimes people look at the state of the nation, they say, there's something happening in our nation, the drug dependence the growing number of suicides, the binge drinking, the, the, what's happening in our nation. And you'll find sometimes other people say, we're going to help people, we're going to help the drug addicts, we're going to fight the binge drinking. Uh, church, aren't you interested? We're doing this. You know, are you supposed to do gooders, aren't you? Won't you help us? We're, we are trying to get to grips with this situation. Where's the church? And, and it's almost like they're taking the lead and saying, where's the church? Jonah, you're asleep. Uh, why don't you call on your God? We're calling on our gods. We're calling on what we think we believe in. Why aren't you calling on your God? Who are you anyway? And then you get to a wonderful kind of turning point in the story. Who are you? He says, well, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Well, you know, it doesn't look like it. I feel the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything. I, I know that God. But you're irrelevant to this storm. What's going on with you? Why don't you call on him? And there comes this wonderful moment, really, where he kind of owns up to who he is. And that, to me, that is the, the big turning point in the story. I am a Hebrew. That's who I really am. I'm a I, I, I know the Lord. That's my real identity. 
It's a bit like the prodigal son. The prodigal son, it says, while he's got money, he's got friends. When he's lost his money, he loses his friends. It says this, he came to himself. He came to himself. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? And he arose and went back to his father. It's a wonderful blessing when you have moments like that in your life. When you stop and think, who am I? How am I living this life? And that happened to me. I was, I, I was converted um, from a completely non-Christian context. My family, my parents were not Christians. I'd never seen a Bible in my home. They didn't go to church. They were not Christian. And then my sister went to live in London. Uh, and, and Billy Graham came to London. And she came home one weekend in Brighton where I lived. She said, I've become a Christian. I thought, how do you become a Christian? And she said, I've been born again. I said, what on earth is born again? And that evening we spoke together and we talked for some time. It wasn't a stranger knocking my door. It was my sister and I could see she was extraordinarily animated and excited about something that happened to her. And, then, and she said to me, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And I said, well, he's supposed to have been raised on the third day, isn't he? And she said, that means he's alive. And I suddenly knew it was true. I suddenly knew Jesus is alive. And we talked some more. And she told me I could get my sins forgiven. I could know I was going to heaven. I thought, wow, why have I never heard this before? And that night, I knelt down in my own home and asked Jesus into my heart, which is a phrase we've made up. Ask Jesus into your heart. It doesn't much say that in the Bible. In the Bible, it says this, he came to Simon Peter and said, follow me. So Simon Peter left his nets and followed him. Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. We left his tax, went and followed Jesus. It, it's not, here's my messy life, come in. And also, these are the other things I worship. Like, the, I, I worship the God of popularity. I worship the God of all the things that me and my friends do together. I, I've got all these things that dominate my life. And Jesus, would you like to come in as well? Uh, idols move over a bit. Now, I didn't think that, but that's actually what it was. So after I became a Christian, the only difference in my life was I started going to church on Sunday mornings. So every Sunday morning, you'd have found me in church. I was there every time. But everything else was unchanged, completely unchanged. So I'd been growing up with a gang of friends through my teen years. We were, Brighton's a, a terrific young people town. I love Saturday nights in Brighton. And, you know, we would go out all over the place and get up to all kinds of nonsense, partying and fooling around. And Jesus, I got Jesus. I go to church Sundays. I remember once I was in, I was in town in Brighton and I'm walking with my friends down the turn of the road and there's a, a guy my age standing on the corner. He's giving bits of paper to people. And then I go past him and, and, and I take a piece of paper. I look at it. It says, you can find life in Jesus. I think, Ooh, um, okay, wow. And I look back, I think, mm, you know, I'm supposed to know about this. And it's not affecting my life. And then I'm in church a few weeks later, and, and, the, and the guy preached on a word in Galatians. You did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? You did run well. I mean, I meant it. When I, when I came to God, I got baptized. I went to a, a meeting in London where my sister was. John Stott's preaching. First time I ever heard the gospel preaching was John Stott. I went forward, shook the great man's hand. I meant it. But mm, nothing much had changed. 
I wasn't doing what he says. And then this morning, when this guy preached on this verse in Galatians, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And when he's preached it, my heart just opened up. And I felt God said to me, I want your life. And I felt he said to me, I want it now. And I felt he said this to me, I won't speak to you about this again. I'd known all times, oh, sorry about that, Lord, I know I shouldn't have done that, please forgive me, get me out of the mess I've got myself into. You know, I, my prayers are all sorry, Lord, prayers. And God that morning just said to me, I want your life, I want it now, and I won't speak to you about this again. And for the first time in my life, I knew the fear of God. I suddenly felt, wow, God. And, and I, I went home and I, I just said, Lord, you have it. You have the whole. You have my life now. Now, I didn't know. God, God had got a wonderful adventure for me. I was fooling around with all kinds of nonsense. And within a year or two, I was filled with the Spirit. Within another year or two, I left my secular job. I'm in full-time ministry. And, it got, and then God had an amazing adventure for me. I had no idea. I'm just a backslidden teenager, fooling around, not doing what he said. I want your life. I want your life. And that day my life changed. It was very painful. I lost all my friends. My parents said, what's happening to you? You're losing all your friends. You're taking this religious too seriously. It's like I died, really. But I could dance on that grave. I thank you, Jesus. You had mercy on me. You rescued me from silly, silly ways. And you had a path for me to walk on. Beloved, God, God's, God's got more ambition for you than you've got for yourself. He did not say, okay, Jonah, push off. Amos, I've got a job here. Come on, this guy's let me down. Oh, I, he's after you. He was after me. He's after you. He wants us. He wants us on course. And the story of Jonah, we haven't got time to go right through it, it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He goes through this incredible experience. He's spewed up. And God comes to him the second time. Now, this is a wonderful, wonderful statement in the Bible. It's not that, okay, okay, Jonah, you blew that, but I'll forgive you, run along. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say run along. It says exactly the same word came to him. This is what I told you to do. Do it. And it says this, Jonah went according to the word of the Lord. That's what it's all about, beloved. We go according to what he says. No, I don't like that. No, no, I'm telling you, this is the way to do it. We get away from the Lord. He comes back. It's not come back and, oh, well, you know, I'll drop the standard. No, I want you to do what I say. I've got ambition for you. It'll take you beyond your wildest dreams, but I want your life. It's the same with Simon Peter. Simon Peter, you know, is a follower of Jesus. Then comes the crunch. You know, pray with me. No, fell asleep. Failed miserably. Are you with Jesus? No, I'm not with him. But surely your accent, no, I'm not with him. Little girl says to him, aren't you with Jesus? No, I don't know him. Absolutely useless. Salt's lost its savour, good for nothing. Dies. Jesus dies. And then this wonderful resurrection. Go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. What has Peter done to deserve to be called a brother? Nothing at all. Jesus has won the victory. 
comes looking for Peter. Then you get that wonderful interview with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Then you get this wonderful thing. Feed my sheep. The word of the Lord came again to Peter. Come on, I'm commissioning you again. I'm commissioning. It's the same word, beloved. God wants our lives. He loved Peter. He knew what a frail guy he was. He knew what a load of rubbish I am when he called me. He had incredible mercy and kindness. He wants your life. And he can give you a life you've never dreamed of. But he wants our lives. And so Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Peter's not at the back of the crowd saying, go on guys, go on James, preach it James, go for it. Thanks for mercy Lord, thanks I'm allowed to be at the back of the crowd again. No, no. Day of Pentecost, Peter, standing with the eleven. He's right back on course. Right back on course. Peter preaching. God knows how to restore people. God knows how to bring us right back into his purpose. Jonah's brought right back into God's purpose. Go to Nineveh, that's a great city. He went according to the word of the Lord. He did it God's way. He determined to do it God's way. Beloved, before I close, just one more thing. Jesus said this, one greater than Jonah is here. And he's speaking of himself. One greater than Jonah. In what sense? Well, the story, the story of Jonah, there's the storm raging, and, and, and the word comes, what should we do? Throw him into the storm. Throw him into the storm. One greater than Jonah is here. It's interesting, it says, they handed him over. You find that of Jesus, they handed him over to the, to the soldiers, they handed him over to Pilate, they handed, you get that phrase recurring, they handed him over. But then behind it all, you get this word, God did not spare his own son, but gave him over. There's a, there's a handing over of Jesus right into the storm. If you read Jonah 2, that prayer he prayed from the belly of the fish, it's like a prayer Jesus could pray on the cross. The billows have gone over me. There's nowhere for me. Jesus took away our shame. He took away our guilt. He suffered in our place. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and laid down my life a ransom. I come to set you free. I come to put you back on your feet again. I come to give you a new chance. I come to take away the guilt, the shame, all the things that you said, well, I'll never be any useful to God, because that happened to me. When I was a kid, that happened to me. I'll never be any good to God. Some of you carry things like that. There are people here this morning who carry things, well, that was happened to me. I'll never be any, I'll always be spoiled goods. And God said, no, I can take it all away. All away. It's new. I give you a new start. A completely new start. Say, Lord, I come to you, Lord Jesus, for a completely new start. I want to go according to the word of the Lord. I want you to give me completely new life. He'll do that. He'll do that this morning. He'll renew you. If you come to him this morning, say, Lord, okay, Lord, I mean business. I want to go according to your word. Just take me, Lord, afresh. Why don't you make this like your new day, your day of starting again with God, beginning in a new kind of way altogether going his way. You'll never, never regret it. It's when Christianity starts making sense to you. And Jesus is right back there. You can face-to-face fellowship. This is the new covenant. I put my things in their heart. 
They can be face to face with me. They'll know me. You'll hear my voice. Can we stand to pray, please?